That's, uh, we are very fortunate to have the musicians that we do every week and the work that Megan does in putting the worship plan together, working with, you know, she likes to plan ahead. And you know, sometimes I'll change my sermon four times in a week, 60% of the time. Somehow she makes it work, does a great job. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. Um, by the way, before we get into the message, a couple announcements. Just a reminder, the first Sunday in October, the garden will add an 11 o'clock service in the fall. Um, so like I said, for those of you who have a four or five hour prayer time on Sunday morning that makes you late to the nine o'clock service, you can now come on time at 11. Um, also, uh, this summer, actually this is the last week in this lectionary series on Matthew that the church has been doing together for nine months. Next week we start a new series for the summer. It's on the book of Galatians. And it's faith and religion equals oil and water. The idea behind it is many times faith and grace and religion mix just about as well as oil and water. And so we're going to be discussing that for the summer in the book of Galatians. I'm very excited about that. That starts next week. Today, though, we're going to be talking about, obviously, for some of you who are familiar with the liturgical calendar, today is Pentecost, where we celebrate Pentecost. And I want to talk about the name of the message this morning is called Embracing the Harvest. And so there are two types of people here today in this building. Those of you that know what Pentecost is and those of you that don't. And then I'll break up that first group, those who know what Pentecost is but are wrong and those who know and are right. And then the other group is still just one group, those who don't. Okay, I'm going to read you a passage from Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. It's our main passage today. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's where we're going to stop. In reality, unfortunately, this is, one, this is one of the most controversial, misunderstood passages in the American church today. And so we're going to discuss it a little bit by, you know how we always do, we give you a breakdown of the historical application of a passage. What about man? What was going on? What was happening? Then we talk about the theological application. What is God doing? What does he do? Why does he do it? And then the devotional application, what are we supposed to do? We're going to break it down that way. So first, let's look at the historical aspects of this day of Pentecost. And this, just to give you an idea of the timeline, this is after Jesus was crucified and he was risen and he had left to go back to heaven and he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to give you power and you're going to take that power and you're going to be a part of the harvest. You're going to go and preach the message of love and hope and redemption and unity to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's what's going on. They are sitting in this room together waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. And he comes in quite a fashion with wind and then the tongues and they begin to speak foreign languages. Now something if you understand, the Spirit's arrival, the Holy Spirit arrival was actually predicted in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. First of all, Jesus promised it would happen 
right before he left the disciples. And that's in Acts 1.8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and every other part of the earth. So Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. But even further back than that, there's a prophet in the Old Testament called Joel. And he predicted in Joel chapter 2. I'm going to read you the passage. And that shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is the Old Testament before Jesus is even born. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In other words, that means speak truth. It doesn't mean to predict the future. It means to speak truth. Your sons and daughters shall preach and speak truth. Your old men shall have dreams and your young men shall see visions. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's interesting, he says, it's not everyone who worships in the temple shall be saved. It's not everyone who follows this list of rules will be saved. It's not everyone that somehow kicks all their addictions will be saved. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So let's talk about this day that it happened. So that's the prediction that the Holy Spirit would come. The day that it comes is called the Feast of Pentecost, or in other words, the Feast of Harvest. The Feast Pentecost, the word Pentecost actually has the term 50 in it. That's what Pentecost means, 50. Pente, you know the five, right? Pentecost means 50. The number of 50 is to represent fullness or ripeness. Let me explain how that works. It's a time when things are ready to happen. That's what Pentecost means. Here's why. This feast was commanded in the Old Testament for the Jews to follow, and they were supposed to celebrate Pentecost exactly seven weeks and one day after they harvested the first bit of wheat. You go into the field. Here's what this matter of fact, I'll just read the passage to you, okay? <clears throat> in Exodus 34, 22, you shall observe the feast of harvest, the first fruits of wheat, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. So the idea behind it was you're supposed to give this feast that when you first start to begin to harvest all the wheat in the field that you use to cook your bread and all these other things, seven weeks and one day after you first put the sickle to the first bit of wheat, you have to celebrate. It's kind of like Jewish Thanksgiving. That's what it was. It was like a Thanksgiving feast. The idea of celebrating, look at what the Lord has given us from the earth. Look at the harvest. Now, this is interesting, right? Because we understand that the Feast of Harvest is 50 days after Passover. That's important to understand. And then the Holy Spirit arrives. Here's what happens, right? The feast is commanded to be celebrated. You give thanks to the Lord. On the day of, the, the, the day of that feast, of that year, this is after Jesus had died, probably about maybe five, six weeks after his crucifixion, his resurrection, Jesus is there, I mean, the disciples are there waiting for the Holy Spirit in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit arrives on the harvest feast. 
And he gives the disciples the ability to preach the gospel in languages they did not know. These were not languages from heaven. These were not languages of angels. This was not not some silly jabber that other people couldn't understand. These were actual languages that people on the earth spoke. So that they could hear the gospel in their own tongue. So the Holy Spirit arrives. And then what begins to happen is the disciples go to the temple. And they begin to share the gospel in other languages. Understand the significance of going to the temple. <clears throat> this is a very important feast. Jews from all over the world are coming to celebrate the feast of harvest of what? Wheat. And they're there to celebrate. And the disciples say, wow, we're able to speak these incredible languages we didn't know before. The Holy Spirit has given us this power. He's given us this boldness. Let's go into the mouth of the lion. Let's go to the temple and let's go and let's preach the gospel. And the scripture teaches us that many people became Christians. But before that, some people were saying, look at these guys. These are Jews from this area. They must be drunk because they're speaking Asian languages. They must be, okay, wait a second. Have any of you ever heard a drunk person speak a language they didn't know before? They can barely speak the one they know. <laughs> well, clearly there has to be some drugs involved. No, seriously, that's what people, the scripture says, that's what they thought. They thought these guys are high. These guys are high and they're speaking our language. That's crazy. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not what's happening. Let me explain to you what is taking place. And he shares the gospel and the whole story of Jesus. And that day, thousands are saved. Now, let me tell you why this is significant. I've shared this with you guys before. In the front of the southern steps of the temple, there's all these little pools. They're called mikvah pools. Right? <clears throat> and here's what happens. When you would go on a feast like Pentecost, before you would go in to worship, you would come there in the name of your rabbi. Your rabbi had to be alive. He had to be in Jerusalem at the time for you to go in. And you would go and you would be ritually cleansed in these pools that are filled with water. You'd, reach, you'd walk down into them. Your rabbi would baptize you or ritually cleanse you in this mikvah pool. You would come up cleansed and then go in and worship. But the only way you could do it is that your rabbi, the one that you identified with, the one that you were following, the one that was discipling you, the one that was teaching you, the one that was leading you, the one that was really encouraging you, he had to be alive and he had to be there. So that was the catch. And so Peter, they, you see the southern steps. I put the arrows up at the top. Those are the southern steps of the temple. Those entrances have been walled off. If you look close, you can see some archways that have kind of been filled in. But those archways were open, and people would walk up those southern steps. Before they would do that, you see the arrows at the bottom? There are tons of mikvah pools all up and down that area. You see, I, I put arrows on some that you can see. So the scene is this. Thousands of people are bustling in Jerusalem to come for this high feast, this feast of thanksgiving, this feast of what? Harvest. Celebrating the harvest of wheat. And they come there and they're being ritually cleansed or baptized in these mikvah pools that outline the, the, the outside of the southern steps. And once they're cleansed in the name of their rabbi, they walk in. But their rabbi had to be alive and in Jerusalem. Here's the greatest miracle of Pentecost. It wasn't the Holy Spirit coming. Yes, it was a miracle. And the Holy Spirit was important. It wasn't the tongues. 
It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the fire. It was the fact that these Jews who were coming from all over the world would hear Peter preaching in their own language, turn their back on their earthly rabbi who was alive and in Jerusalem and say, nah, I'm going to be ritually cleansed in the name of my new rabbi, Jesus, who I believe has been resurrected and is here in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle that they would turn their back on tradition and heritage and something they could tangibly hear and see and feel, that being their earthly rabbi, and they would say, no offense, rabbi, but this Jesus guy who was crucified and is here, and I believe it because Peter's preaching in my language, I'm going to be ritually cleansed in his name. And the scripture says thousands were baptized that day in the name of Jesus and went into worship. That's an incredible miracle. And that's all happening. Imagine that picture, and it stretches all the way up and down that wall. It goes a lot farther than what you see. And there are thousands. Some of them are being saying, no, nah, I don't want to hear about the Jesus one. But most of them were, hey, I'm a Jesus guy now. I don't care if you say he's dead. He's alive. The spirit is powerful. So that's an amazing story, isn't it? That's the miracle. Now watch what happens. Here's the theological application. There are some clues left by Jesus about this theology of the harvest. <clears throat> First of all, look what he says in Matthew 9. This is before his crucifixion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He was talking about a wheat harvest. As a matter of fact, we'll discuss this later, he gives a full parable about the wheat and the weeds, the tares, the wheat and the weeds that grow up. And he says we have to wait for the wheat to be fully grown so we can tell it apart from the tares, and then we go and harvest the wheat when the fullness of time has come. So Jesus gave some clues <clears throat> about the harvest. So that's in Matthew 13, 24 to 30, the wheat and the tares. At the right time the wheat is harvested in Pentecost would be a celebration of that harvest. And then in John 4, 35 and 36, he talks about the harvest of eternal life. Let me read this to you. The disciples are saying, Jesus, you know, in four months there's harvest. You know, the Pentecost is in four months. This is a couple years before he died. And Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest right now. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. And what soon began to happen in that region, right after he said that, was pretty crazy. But the concept that I want to get across to you is this, that Jesus makes the clear tie between harvest and eternal life. <clears throat> and what Jesus is saying is, pretty soon, the harvest isn't going to be about wheat. It's going to be about people. People that I love. People that I'm calling. People that I'm bringing to myself through the Spirit of God. People that are going to hear the message of hope and redemption and comprehend it because I'm going to give them, through the Holy Spirit, the gift of what? Exactly. The gift 
of faith. So let's talk about the devotional application of this story. What are we supposed to do with it? See, I think Pentecost in many ways has been misunderstood and hijacked. Many Christians have a misguided view and a misguided focus of this Pentecost day, this harvest feast where the Holy Spirit came. They are misguided in its main purpose. It's a misguided thinking which chooses to venerate and crave the miracles of Pentecost instead of the message. As a matter of fact, there are many churches who work really hard. They wish they could recreate that feeling and that event and the feeling that those disciples must have had when the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues and the tongues of fire and the rushing mighty wind and they spend a lot of time and energy trying to recreate that feeling. Instead of focusing on the gospel of love, the gospel of hope, the gospel of redemption, and the gospel of unity, the power of the gospel to save is not in tongues, it's in the message of Christ. And what begins to develop is an unhealthy obsession with the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain something. The Holy Spirit was crucial to Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was what Jesus promised would give us power to take the message of hope and redemption to those whom he was calling and enlightening through his spirit. So the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is active in salvation. The Holy Spirit is important and necessary in salvation because without it, you can hear me preach the gospel all day, but you don't have a clue of what it means unless the Holy Spirit is moving in you. And some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you are experiencing it today. Maybe you experienced it a few weeks ago when the Holy Spirit did something in your heart. There was some sort of change. There was some sort of emotion. There was some sort of feeling of, whoa, this is real. That's exactly what happened to the Jews on the southern steps that were baptized in the name of Jesus that day. So what begins to happen is people try to achieve some sort of magical God feeling. And although that can happen, that's certainly part of our relationship with God, we've even developed a phrase for it that comes from this, a misapplication. I want to be on fire for Jesus. Now the idea of the tongues, on the, the fire tongue, on fire, wait a minute, what does that even look like? And how do I know if I'm on fire for Jesus? Am I emotional? Am I loud? Am I quiet? Am I reflective? Am I prayerful? Am I sharing my faith? Am I not sharing my faith? Am I giving a lot of money? What does it look like? The idea behind it is that being on fire has nothing to do with loving Jesus. And what begins to happen is we look for this spiritual nirvana, this elevated state of transitive connection to God. And many Christians spend time trying to recreate and focus on these secondary things. Don't get me wrong. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is huge. It's critical. It's important. But it should never overshadow the message that the Holy Spirit came to make effective in the hearts of God's people. Because think about this. When you're trying to say, I want to recreate, Holy Spirit, come fill this place. Well, you're implying that the Spirit moves and leaves us. 
The Spirit doesn't get stronger or weaker. Jesus said, I'm sending you the Spirit and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The Spirit doesn't change. It's the same Spirit that came on that feast day 2,000 years ago. So instead of the emphasis being on the miracles that the Spirit brought, it should be more on what the miracle is that people heard. It's not on the tongues, it's on what people heard through the tongues, which was the gospel. And it's not a coincidence that this Pentecost, this coming of the Spirit was on the harvest feast. So just really quick, I'm going to explain to you. In studying it this week, I was actually going to go a completely different direction on Monday and then another completely direction on Tuesday. And I called Megan on Thursday. I said, Megan, I'm going a completely direction again. Because I discovered something that I'm surprised I never saw before. It seems so simple to me. I feel like, you know, what are you, a bonehead? In studying this week, I did a quick survey of what the scripture teaches about harvest. It, it occurs over 60 times just in the Old Testament. And I was blown away how every time there's a reference to harvest in the Old Testament, it has a direct tie to Acts and day of Pentecost, and the day the Holy Spirit came on the Feast of Harvest. So let me tell you what Pentecost is about for us. What is the devotional application? I'm going to give you some new thoughts here. I had to go through all that historical and theological stuff. I hope I didn't lose some of you in that, but it's important. And now I'm going to get to the part of how this affects you today and tomorrow. What is the purpose of Pentecost? The purpose of Pentecost is not to speak in tongues. It's about the harvest of God's chosen. Joel chapter 2 says that. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because God has those who he is going to save whom he has called. The purpose of Pentecost is the harvest of souls. It's the fulfillment of the wheat and the tares. When the fullness of time has come, when they're gathered up, we will be able to see who's a wheat Who's a weed? And we will gather them together. And it's the beginning of missions. It's the beginning of the Great Commission. It's the beginning of the breaking down of the cultural and ethnic division. It's the beginning of a gospel that's supposed to go to every tongue, every tribe, every nation, not just Jews, not just Americans but everyone. So in many ways, it is a celebration. This feast is no longer a celebration of wheat for us. We don't celebrate Pentecost to say, man, we got a good harvest of wheat. As Christians, we celebrate it as an outpouring of missions and outreach and evangelism and a global kingdom harvest. Even Paul understood this. Paul, a missionary, he understood that his work was harvesting and that Pentecost was not about just a one-time event, but about a continuing action. He says this in Romans. I love this. I do, he wrote this to the church in Rome. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I had been prevented in order that I may reap some sort of wheat. Um, is that what he means when he says harvest? That I may reap some wheat among you? Is that what he means by harvest? That I may may somehow reap some sort of wheat among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What do you think Paul is talking about when he says harvest? What does he mean? 
I've been wanting to come to you so that I could reap some harvest. What does he mean? Does he mean go out in the fields and cut wheat down? What does he mean? He means I've been wanting to come so that I could see more souls come to know Christ. And Paul makes it very clear. The harvest, Pentecost, is not a historical event. It's a continuing event. And he also, we understand that Pentecost, the harvest, is powered by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 9.10, I love this. Paul says this. This is important for you to understand. He who supplies the seed, that's the gospel, to the sower, that's us, and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right there we see that the power of the harvest is not in how good we are at harvesting. The power of the harvest is in that God has given us the seed, he's given us the power, and he gives us the multiplying of our efforts. So what is Pentecost for us? It's not a historical event. I mean, yes it is because it's recorded in the scripture and it happened on that day. But the idea of Pentecost is much more than that moment. Pentecost began a continuous state based upon a past result. We are in Pentecost. We are in harvest now. It just began that day. It didn't end on that day. It began that day and it's been continuing for thousands of years. As more and more people all across the world from all different types of religions and all different types of ethnic background and all different types of languages and all these other people, they hear the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they trust it. They turn their back just like the Jews did when they turned their back on their earthly rabbi People turn their back on their traditions and their history and trust the gospel. So it's not a historical event. It's a continuing condition. It's no longer a once a year feast about harvesting wheat. It's a daily feast and celebration. A feast about the harvest of souls. Pentecost, the feast of harvest, is right here right now now let me draw you in listen carefully some of us here have already responded to the call of the holy spirit and we are part of the harvest and we should celebrate that each day by sharing the message of hope and redemption trusting that the spirit will make the truth known to those who need to hear it some of us in here maybe today are for the first time feeling this tug of that same Holy Spirit that worked in Peter and the apostles at the feast harvest and on the southern steps of the temple. Some of you have feeling, you're feeling that, that its power is working in you right now, maybe even as I speak, maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't know. But it's calling you to come and be a part of the harvest. <clears throat> of this party, this great feast that makes life worth living. That, after all, was the message that Peter preached that day. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray that there will be laborers into the harvest. Pentecost is here. It's now. 
It's active and it's part of who we are. And as we close this lectionary series on Matthew, I've been sharing with you the whole concept was the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is the harvest of God's people. As we close our time together today, I uh, want to close us with a, a quick word of prayer.